0: I want to continue with our theme this morning for the month of January, focusing on one discipline that is, if I could give to you one thing and say, this is the only discipline. If you only have one discipline in your life, it would be that you would learn how to pray and to really, really, really pray authentic and genuine. Christian, good to see you, buddy. To be able to, to call out to a God of all the universe and all power and all authority and know that he not only loves you, he likes you and that he hears your prayer and he's attentive to your cry. And so over the past few weeks, we've been, we've been walking through these opportunities for you to pray Tuesday and Thursday morning, 7, 6.30, 7.30. Before you go into Boston, pray. Before you go to Lowell, Tewksbury, Haverhill, wherever you're going, come here and pray with us. And the big one is on Saturdays from 9 to 10. We're not perfect people, but we're praying people. And we want to join you and believe God for you to know that he loves you, he likes you, and he's there for you. And all that we do is really marching you forward to four things. This is why we exist. We don't exist to pay the bills of people that can't pay them. We couldn't do it. There's not enough resource in this church. That's not what the church was there for. We're not here to give you extreme home makeovers, although from time to time we're able to come alongside and help. What we're here for is to help you know God, to find freedom, discover purpose, and that God would begin to work through you to make a difference in the world around you. You're as called as I am. There's nothing special about me. There's something very special about you. It's that you are, there's no fingerprint the same, there's no snowflake alike, there's no one like you. And you're not not defective, you're designed. And God made you the way you are because there are lives that he can touch through you that he can't touch through me. I freak people out sometimes. I make children cry sometimes, you know, this is no politician's face. You know, I'm not shaking hands and kissing babies. I'm making babies cry and people, you know, I mean, I'm not perfect. I'm not everyone's flavor, but you know what? You're somebody's perfect. You're somebody's flavor. There's some people that can't necessarily heal the voice of God through me, but they can hear it through you. They can identify with your fears, your desires, your prayers, your gifts, your encouragement, the pats on the back. And uh, that's why we love what we've been doing uh, through this month with with prayer. And so we encourage you to join us. And last week we talked in the first part of this process is to pause. And uh, uh, if you weren't here, and you can always catch the podcast online on our app or on on the uh, on the video stream. On we've been uh, sending it through Facebook Live. But but God wants us to pause. Like it's crazy. Do you know the biggest leap in informational chaos has happened with the invention of the iPhone. This thing is destroying our lives because instead of us using technology, technology is using us. There's some of you, you love God, and you're like, I'm going to do my devotions on you version. You know what? Some of you need to... Like, say, I'm going to pick up the old fashioned black and white and read it because while you're sitting there trying to connect with God, bloop, 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 you're getting inundated with stuff. And listen, if you get interrupted once, that should be the sign for you to put it in airplane mode, set the sucker down, and pick up the old fashioned uh, black and white Bible and paper, drop to your knees. Let's go old school. Let's get uh, in touch with heaven again. Amen? Let's pause. And we went through and talked about how each of these are just simply the way we're going to go. I'm excited after this session, this month, we're going to jump into our prophets again and talk about the minor prophets. Let me tell you what, you guys are there. You know, you understand the message of Obadiah, Habakkuk, books that like some people can't even pronounce. You've been there. You got that. We're going to jump into the last three of Zechariah, Haggai, and Malachi, or some Italian people call Malachi. And... uh, we're going to let the word speak for it. My prayer is that 10 years from now, when I'm gone and not in your life or you're somewhere else or, or I'm, I'm with God, you're going to pick up that book and you're going to be like, I know what this means because we walk through it. We preach through it. But this month, we chose to kind of walk through the acronym of prayer. This isn't a common approach to preaching and teaching we do because it's so good. It's so good. You all have an acronyms for prayer that you like, like ACTS, ASK, CONFESS seek, you know, uh, thank God. Like, there's all kinds of them out there, but I love this one where it's, you pause. It speaks so much to the cast of our culture. And that is the story of Mary and Martha, right? Jesus, she comes up to Jesus and complains to him and says, make my sister help me serve. Some of the things that we're serving really aren't worthy of our service. And Jesus says, hey, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about a lot of things, but only one thing, only one thing is necessary. Mary's chosen it. I'm sorry, I love you, but I'm not taking it from her. I'm not telling her to get up and help you. And uh, so many of us need to move from moving around and taking care of everything to being still before the presence of God and hearing his voice again, fresh and anew in our life. And so today, this week, we're going to step into the next part of this, which is rejoice. Rejoice. And to that, Lord, we ask for your help and your hope. The ask and the yield are the next two weeks. But again, the book here is by Peter Grieg, and it's called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. Most of what I'm going to share from with you this morning is, not, is about maybe 25% of it's from the book. The other is just kind of me through study and prayer. But, man, if you haven't gotten this, get it. Get it in Audible. If you can't read, you know what? Get it in Audible. I read my first book my graduating year of high school. I was one of those kids that went through the system. You can do it. Get it in Audible. Look through it. If you're not a paper copy, get a Kindle, whatever it is, but get this book, get it in your life. It simplifies prayer in so many ways. And what's amazing about this is that for the last 20 years, this man has led prayer meetings all over the world, all over the world, in every continent of the world, in over, I think, 120 countries. There are prayer meetings connected to this movement that have been going nonstop 24 hours a day for 20 years. He's doing something right, and uh, we can learn from it. So we're going to talk about rejoicing. You guys remember, how many of you here have been a Christian for more than 15 years? Wave your hand. What year were you born? Shout it out. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I notice in our planning center when we have like how to reach out to you, some of you have intentionally left your birthday out of there, or at least you have the day and the month, but the year is missing, and I'm wondering what's up with that. I think I'm on to you. But... You guys remember this one? This is old school. Some of you are going to kind of chuckle at this, but it goes like this. Rejoice in the Lord always and again, I say rejoice. You remember that? Rejoice in the Lord always and again, I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice again. I say, and then we would get it going. Where, like, one group this is what happened before there were iTunes, right? And so, you'd get one group, and then the next group would start, and you could have it. And you know, it was like, all right, but the theme of it was rejoicing. How about this one? This joy that I have. Or you did it on the offbeat. This joy that I have. The world didn't give it to me. You know that song? Or am I singing a monologue here? Solo. You got it. Okay. You know, you can just tap on your feet a little bit. And then there was that one, joy, 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 joy on the Holy Ghost. Joy, joy, joy. All these songs. And now all the songs that come out, they're amazing. And if you go to the churches where they're written, the lighting show is incredible. And believe me, I'm all for that. I can't wait until we get uh, LED screens and we get lighting here. This is, this is this is difficult lighting. and And I'm all for that. But... What I'm not for is, is that so many of the songs are talking about me, myself, and I, and they're not talking about I am, the great I am, and I'm all for it, like one of the songs that we sing, I will build my life, I'm all for those songs if they're talking about me letting him be God in my life, and I'm not a stickler on this, you know, I'm not like, oh, we can't sing that song because it just, but it's amazing to me how egocentrical so many of these songs are, and, and how much we've lost the, they're so, they're so conditional. Like, all of the rejoicing is all conditioned upon what God's going to do for you or what God's done for you, and we've missed what the, the greatest songbook in the history of mankind is, the book of Psalms, where David says, I don't care how I feel, I don't care what you think, and I don't care what my circumstances are doing, I'm going to praise God. That's rejoicing. I, you know what, sound team, I don't know if you can get this, but I got a little bit of an S. You guys remember Jungle Book? Trust in me trust in me. The boa constrictor would talk like that and then wrap around you and thank you. And for the record, we have a team of people who are here for two services every week from 6.30 till 12.30 and they do it volunteer and they do it awesome. And I just want to say thank you, shout out to all of you. And Flavia, the digital master behind the PowerPoint. Really, I appreciate it guys. Thank you. Thank you. Wouldn't want you to think that that's a complaint or like I'm pointing out You're doing anything wrong? You guys are amazing. So I want to talk with you about rejoice, rejoicing in the New Testament, and help you understand. And to do that, I just simply need to give you one of the shortest verses in the Bible. There are only a handful of them that are two words. One of them is Jesus wept, but this one is like two fists. Rejoice always. It's good news. It's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing. God is amazing. And God is so amazing that he wants us not to be dictated by our circumstances, not to be victim of of people, not to be controlled by our emotions or us trying to control our emotions, but he wants us to set the setting of our heart and our life when we come before him in prayer at a position called rejoicing. And what that really means, what that really, really means. Well, Uh, There are so many people in our church that are scholars, especially being near the Bible college, so I know every once in a while I'll hit on a language thing that they might not agree with and, you know, they just roll with it and they'll pat me on the back and get spirit, you know what, well this is there and there, but this kind of language stuff I want to get you, I'm pretty sure I'm on target here and it's, it's, it's just awesome. And I want to walk you through that, but I want you not to miss how simple this is in English. Rejoice always. It's that simple. Rejoice always. Don't complain always. How would, how would somebody describe you if they had to sum me up in two words? Would it be complain always, insults always, panics always, manipulates always, anxious always, controls always, plans always, or would they say you rejoice always? Because God wants to define your life by learning how to rejoice, to have joy, and to be happy. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes it in another verse in the book of Philippians, I believe it is, where it says, finally, my brothers, that's like mankind, humankind, my brothers, my sisters, everybody, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. It's good. I want, just, just so you know, rejoice. And in fact, he even hits it. He comes back to this again later on in the book And he says, hey, listen, rejoice in the Lord always. And if you missed it the first time, I want you to understand how important this is. Again, I'm going to say it, rejoice. Rejoice. Have joy in your life. And don't just keep it inside of you, get it outside of you. And what's amazing about, there are a whole bunch of different words in Greek and Hebrew in the way that it's written. But this word is written usually in such a way. that The Cairo, the way that it's written is, is it's written to everybody At every time, in every place, in every situation, it's almost like how the Italians say, hey, yous. When they're talking to everybody, it's like, yous. Second person plural, all of yous. Rejoice always. Forget about it. And it's not written as a suggestion. Have you ever had someone try to come up and modify your mood because your attitude was determining your altitude and it was going, and they just kind of put their arm around you like, hey, it's going to be okay, or... Like, listen. Don't be so worried about that. Or like, yo, you know, you don't have to be so upset. Like, it's, 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 it's okay. And, you know, this thing isn't written like he's suggesting it. It's written in the imperative, which means there's an exclamation next to it. It's like a drill sergeant. How many military people are they here? Right? You ever have a drill sergeant in your face? I'll tell you something, you boy, you need to you ain't nothing. You just need to do me push-ups. Now you don't you don't have the drill sergeant talk to you and you take it as a suggestion, or they're gonna make your life so painful. And then they'll make everybody in your company's group painful, and then everybody when you try to go to sleep is gonna make your life painful for making them suffer from that pain. And this is written in such a way that it's saying, hey, everybody, everywhere. I wanna tell you the attitude you need, and you need to do it, and it can't be dictated by your people around you. It can't be dictated by your circumstances. It sure definitely can't be conducted by your mood volumes. You need to learn to rejoice. Get some joy in your life. But rejoice is more than just simply joy, it's so far beyond it. And I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where my joyometer is kinda of low. And have you ever noticed, have you ever, let's just, let's just go there, ready? Have you ever had all those people they are just so happy all the time, and they're like, hey, and you're in a bad mood, and when they come in, it's like if they had a balloon, you'd just totally pop it. <laughs> Stop being so happy. They're like, hey, so good to see you. Hi. Right. How many of you do this at work? <laughs> Nobody raised their hand on that. How many of you do this in your home? it's hard I think it's a tall order for God to tell us you got to rejoice always it's like oh yeah thanks right become a millionaire that's okay I got like five bucks I'm I'm on my way It almost seems like it's too tall of a task to ask. But you know what? If you look in the Bible, for every time the Bible says fear not, there are 365 fear nots in there, which means that if, for whatever you stood for here, whether it was cancer, whether it was AIDS, whether it was um, financial uh, uh, d- financial loss, maybe like me, your parents are in a difficult spot, whatever that situation is, God has a fear not for every day you want to fear But when it comes to rejoice, here's the thing. There are about 285 times in the Bible where it says rejoice, rejoicing, rejoiced, future, past, present tense. There's about 285 which means biblically speaking that you are allowed one and a half days a year out of every week to be pouty but the rest of them God expects you to be happy. So I'll give you one and a half days to pout but after that You have to get the pout out. That's really, the lack of of rejoicing isn't like, it's, it's like pouting. And I've been in that place where I allow my circumstances, I allow other people, I allow my own control or lack thereof my emotions to rob me of this thing that God has. You know, in Hebrew, there are a couple of words for this. One of them in particular is the name of one of my friends, Gil. Uh, the only other uh, culture that I've ever heard this name, Gil, there's a couple of uh, friends of mine that are in Fall River, Portuguese people, and their name was Gil. And I was like, oh, that must be something. And then as I began to uh, learn Hebrew and learn through that, I remember that, I, what, that name. And I said, oh, that's my friend's name. I have a friend in Israel who took, took an extra day and took Pastor Caitlin, Pastor Dylan and I, and gave us like a, a secret private tour after everyone left. And his name is Gil. It means rejoice. Be happy, celebrate, don't keep the emotion inside, let it outside. Now, I understand that there are different temperaments that are in here. If I say that to some of you, I'm going to have the ushers carry you out because you're going to be crazy, right? But to others of you, if I say rejoice, this is what rejoicing looks like. This is hardcore rejoicing for some of you. And then for others of you, it's like, yes, you know, you just, we're all different. We shouldn't look at those people that are like this and say they're not rejoicing because the volume isn't determined by the expression and we shouldn't be foolish enough to think just because they're jumping means that they've got this figured out internally. It looks different for every single person but what God does want us to do is to learn the truth and the power of the Holy Spirit to to, to rejoice. And in the Old Testament when you read these words like samach uh, or gil or It literally, listen, it literally means more than just a happy attitude. It literally means to be filled with so much joy you cannot contain it, that you literally begin to dance, that you begin to sing. And here's the key to it, that you exalt everyone and everything around you above yourself. You are not the center of attention, that thing that you're celebrating. And if you have ever had the honor of going to a Jewish wedding, those people know how to party. They celebrate, they dance. And at the wedding, they do the circle dance, the the hoopa, the and they'll be like, they'll da, 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 da. and all those people, you'll see somebody who's 90 years old dancing in a circle. You'll see I, I remember, you know, churches and dispositions, some people have different attitudes towards dancing, right? And celebrating and rejoicing and dancing. Some people will be like, there's no room for dancing in the church. And then some people are like, I'm dancing in the Lord, and I'm like, no, I don't know, man. I, I don't those unique moves. However it is, however you celebrate, but the Jewish people, man, you will go in there during times of the year when festivals like Pentecost or Passover happening, and the streets are exploding with celebrating, and if you hate the word dance and church being put together, you better just cut the entire book of Psalms right out and throw it in the garbage because it's filled with it. Now, I'm not one of those people, you're never going to see me like dancing in church really crazy or whatever if you do like it means jesus is coming back in five four three two one it's not my personality but but i have watched people where they're just enjoying god i remember watching my friend deb griffin who was was confined to a wheelchair and watched and this is somebody i knew this isn't some urban legend and watched her raise out of that wheelchair and she began to cry and scream and laugh and she started running around the church and everybody was going nuts i mean that's amazing That's worth being joyful over. But when I talk to you about joy and rejoicing, I don't think you get it. So I want to take you to my friend's wedding and have you see what a celebration looks like Jewish style, and how they take the bride and the groom on chairs and lift them above the crowd, and the second that happens, the place goes crazy because they're king and queen of their home, and you will see 90-year-old people, you'll see other people that have perfected dance, and then you'll even see the Jewish pastors jumping in there and doing it. Are you ready? Check it out. Volume, blast it. It's a is that that's rejoicing like that's like joy I mean man if there was anything we should have taken from that culture along with them we have so much from that culture why is it that we didn't take rejoicing why isn't that we didn't take joy why is it that we're so in control of our hearts and our why is it that we have to say to our kids you know what you can't listen to that music on that station and be excited and want to dance but when it comes to the things of God it's like, it's like our kids are just totally disconnected maybe because we're disconnected maybe because we don't realize that this joy that we have the world didn't give it to us the world didn't give it the world can't take it away that listen any day is better when you understand that if Jesus is your Lord you're going to be with him for all eternity and not away from him We've got something to be joyful about and something to to rejoice about. And let me tell you what, just I think in the love of the Lord to say this to myself and to say it to you, I think for some of us, God would say, will you please grow up and stop thinking that people are bigger than me, your problems are bigger than me, your situations are bigger than me, or will you please stop trying to let your emotional control be bigger than me and would you just trust me? Would you just love me? Would you just celebrate? See, because when it comes to learning how to rejoice in the Lord, and it doesn't mean that all of a sudden we have to get up and do pirouettes and, you know, and, and Pastor Dylan and Pastor Caitlin and I are going, ay, ay, although we'll do that for you if that'll help you get joy in your life. But, like, maybe to make you laugh, I don't know. <laughs> but, but, like, the, what, why is it that we're so inhibited that we can't celebrate, that we can't allow ourselves to smile? You know what it's like when you were a kid and your mom and dad walked in the room and they wanted to connect with you and you pretended like you were asleep? why do we put a lid on it when we have a limitless God? Why do we care what we look like or what people think? And there, I, th- I really think there are three barriers, but there's pro- probably way more that keep us from rejoicing. And remember, we're talking about prayer and we come before God. We need to pause. Oh my goodness, we need to pause. Our world is so chaotic. It's, it's crazy. And if you cannot do your devotions without one text getting responded to, without one email being looked at. If you can't just focus on that, you need to just put your phone on airplane mode and go old school again because you don't have control of your life. Your phone's got control of your life. We need to learn what it is to pause in the presence of God like we talked about last week, but not only that, before we walk in and ask him to fill out our punch list of prayer requests, we need to learn to rejoice in him. And to realize that we have the victory before the battle's even begun. In fact, the battle's not ours. The battle belongs to the Lord's. But yet, so many times, my temptation in prayer is that I will totally pause, but then I want to go right to my prayer request like a teenager coming into the house, kicking the door open being, Mom, I'm hungry. Make me something to eat. I used to do that to my mom all the time. That's why I've got scars all over my body. She was, she could throw anything at me from any, she was able to get a wooden spoon, whip around the corner into another room and hit me in the right spot. (laughs) Boomerang spoons. But like, we sometimes, don't we do that to God? Like we're like, Lord, we we rush through the thanks and the praise. Lord, we thank you. Why do we always thank God for this day, right? How many of you do that? Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for everything. But we're really just rushing through that because we think that that's part of a formula to really rush in the house, kick the door open and say, hey, Lord, I'm hungry. I need you to meet these Feed, feed these needs instead of us really pausing and before we run into it we open up our heart like the book of psalms and begin to say oh god you are god of all the universe you are above everything there is no limit to you you are limitless you have the power to take this problem away but if it's not away from me what did jesus say to Pilate? he Pilate said i have the power to kill you and he said to him you'd have no power over me unless it was given from above could it be the reason of your struggle right now is in your life is because god is allowing it to be a temporary power in your life because he's trying to produce something inside of you. God's bigger than all of the problems. God's bigger than people, but we allow some things to get in the way of us. So I've got three things in that paper for those of you that might've gotten one when you came in. I want you, whether you physically check it off or you check it off in your mind or heart, which of these, if all of them, hinder you from really having joy in your life the joy that God gives the joy that isn't dictated by things and stuff and people but is a genuine understanding that he's the God of all the universe and before we go to our punch list we shouldn't just thank him for the day we should thank him oh God thank you for this life that you've given me I was driving down the road the other day I know who I was and I know what I wasn't I know what I am I know what I'm not My goodness, I thought my life was done at the age of 22. And sometimes I'll drive down the road and the presence of God will show up. It's like everything gets brighter and my, my heart loses its guardedness and tears start pulling down my face. And I'm like, oh God, I've stolen a life. Thank you. It's so hard to get ourselves emotionally on the same page with people at the same time, right? There are moments where my wife's heart is tender and joyful and I'm gruff and impatient. My kids are trying to connect with me and we're just not plugging in. It's so hard. That's why praise is so important to pause and be reminded that God is over all things and he uses everything. And that's what the book of Psalms is about. But if you see these, check one off. First of all, the barriers. Do people create a lid for you and you're rejoicing? looks something like this. They're not right. Are you that kind of person that can point out the wrong in everybody else, but the whole time you're totally missing the fact that you might not be right or righteous? I would rather be in love with people and righteous than right. Do I go around and say, I'm right, you're wrong, or I evaluate the whole world on an ongoing basis? You know, sometimes... People will say things and I'll know it's wrong but I'll see their heart and I'll be like I'm not here to scowl at the world and look down at them or even correct everybody but I hear your heart and I'm like amen. Praise God. That verse was totally taken out of context but that's okay. If you're more worried about verses and concepts being taken out of context, you know, or do you have to be right? They hate me. Right? I did this experiment one. you, you know uh, the missionary that we support, uh, Krista. She, I still keep in touch with her. We're praying with her on how to get to the next step for the mission field. We're behind her 100 percent. she's one of us. She went out there. But one day, when I was in class, I did this experiment. I wanted to show the students how wrong we interpret the world around us by our preconceived ideas. And I just told everyone in the class, I said, "Hey, Krista's in a really bad mood. Now, first of all, if you know her, you know that she, she doesn't really have bad moods, but I told everybody she is, she's like really upset, she's really upset. And so she walked in, she's like, hey, guys, right? And anyone you know her, it's like her. then she bumped her leg into one of the desks. And all of a sudden, she's like, ah. And then I watched the whole room go. And then when she was coming in to sit down, someone was like, hey, you know, you want to sit there? They were giving her space. And I explained to everybody, I said, by the way, Krista's not in a bad mood. It was just I wanted to see how easily you could be influenced by somebody on the outside and your perception, and we do it all the time. We, we're like, they don't like me, they hate me, so what? There are people that go to this church that don't like me because I'm not your flavor, but you love Jesus with all your heart, and on that we're agreed in, and, and we glorify, and we can find the middle, and we do that, right? I'm not everybody, or maybe you don't hate me, you're like, I'm not your flavor, I'm not perfect, I'm not Jesus, but there are some of you in this room, you are their flavor, and you are, and God needs you, they need you. They have power over me. No, they wouldn't. Jesus said, no one would have power over you unless it was given from above. I find when I find myself underneath somebody's authority and I don't like it, it's that God is teaching me to do the last part of praying. Pray, rejoice, ask, yield. Some of us, when we hit that point, that's going to be the place where we need to let go and surrender. But people don't have power over you unless God gave it. And then, don't we do this all the time? We punish people emotionally We give them 20% of our approval, but we make sure they know that 80% of it isn't theirs, which means that you really hate them 100%. You ever do that? Hi! Hi. I'm not going to say it in words, but I want you to know that although I acknowledge you, I don't like you. We let people dictate. Like... I, you know what i'm so happy i can i blur together services but dylan allen is in uh he is graduating from teen challenge january 27th friday evening he is he is crack free he is meth free and he is free in jesus and he has freedom vertically and horizontally he's, he knows god he's finding freedom he's signing on for another year at the Teen Challenge, they were pointing at him saying, we know it, you're a lifer, you're gonna work here forever. I said, Dylan, you tell them that you have a 350 people in your family and before we make decisions that are impacting on our life, you have to get permission from your family. So they were like, you're gonna sign up on Teen Challenge, we want you to work there. He says... Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, guys, thank you. I gotta talk to my family. And we looked through. We wanted to make sure he wasn't hooked in and bolted down if God was moving him to the next thing, but it made sense, and we're like, he, he had the peace. I said, do you have a peace with it? Do you have, you know? I even made him send me the contract because I wanted to make sure he wasn't signing his soul over to T.C. And just looked at it, and I'm like, this is good, Dylan. This is gonna be a good thing, and it's gonna help him grow, but you know what would bring me great joy is, is if you block on your calendar, and you're, this is the only time I'm gonna say in church, you can take out your phone if you want to, and you block over Friday, January 27th and you go to Brockton Teen Challenge with us and when that 24th Friday the 24th sorry that's what I said um Friday the 24th <laughs> Derek's going 24 24 Friday the 24th and uh we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna rejoice with him amen we're going to rejoice with him. He's one of ours, man. He made it from the street to the seat. And he is serving Jesus with all of his heart. We have others in there right now. Ty is down there, for those of you that know Ty. And we, we have others that are on the long-term plan. But while he was a teen challenge, people were getting in the way of his rejoicing. And let's face it, people can be a, a pain. People can shower their disappointment on you and go out of their way. And that's their problem. That shouldn't be your problem. That should just be their problem. You, you know what will drive those kind of people? Not should be like, hey. Hey, so good to see you. You just brood on that for a little while, you know? Just like move on, just have joy in your life. Like why let that person pop your balloon, you know? Just just know that God loves you for who you are faults and all and they'll they'll catch up in eternity. It's okay. But Dylan had this one guy that was driving him nuts. And I always heard the phrase, maybe you've heard it, it's kind of weird, but it says that person really gets my goat. I'm like, that's that must be a farm term, right? That person doesn't get my goat. <laughs> That's somebody that had goats. Goats are stubborn, and they 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 hit you. And then other times, when you going to take them somewhere, they all fall on their back and pretend they're dead. And they're, and and we all know the great goat, right? Brady, greatest of all time. Yeah, Holy Spirit in the back row there. See it right? And. Uh, uh, I just said to him I said I I found a picture where it had a goat on it and it said G-O-A-T greatest of all time and we did this as a summer camp theme for teenagers saying Jesus is the goat there's only one goat and it's Jesus he's the greatest of all time but I sent it to him and I said hey bro don't let him get your goat And and now he's like that person he is totally in great relationship with them and God is causing him to just flourish and grow because he's just not letting him get your goat why should we let people get ours why not love them? You know who mastered this process? King David. You just need to pick up the book of Psalms. One, one, one. Uh, in fact, the author of the book that I've been recommending to you—he he, every morning and every evening he begins the day with one psalm and he ends it with the next psalm. And if you go through, there's 31 Proverbs in the book of Proverbs. You could have a proverb a day and keep stupidity away. It's a great way to get wisdom in your life. One proverb, two psalms. You'll get wisdom and joy. But David, right, here's the thing, David, he finds himself, for the, for the, I, I used to be able to say we all know the story. No, we don't all know the story. So let me give it to you. King David, he's a boy, he's a part of Israel, and there's a king, his name's Saul, and there's a giant, his name's Goliath. He's one of the enemies, the Philistines, and they're fighting in a battle, and every day Goliath's going out there, send your best man. If he beats me, we'll all serve you. Nobody else needs to die. And he was confident he was going to win. Nobody for 40 days would go down there because the guy was so huge and he was so powerful. And then in comes David. He's bringing like, vendor machine food for his brother here's some cheese for you and some Cheez-Its for you and mom and dad send this they love you and, and and he's like what's going on and he finds out what's happening and he says who is this pig that he thinks he could talk about our God like this I'm going down there and and he just he goes down in the field and Goliath looks at him and laughs at him and when we well uh, I can't say we all know the story but the story goes like this he finds a st- he gets five stones and he gets a sling and he throws them at him and by the way a, a sling stone is about the size of my fist I have one of them in my office office an actual one from the, the size of it it's 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 the size of a fist it's like an orange so really the story of David and Goliath Goliath came to a, a gunfight with a knife and David kills him boom now here's how the story goes God anoints David and says you're going to be king one day Saul becomes jealous and every day he's in the palace Saul's trying to kill him with spears it's time for a relocation at that point isn't it If your boss is throwing spears at you, it's time to look for another job. (laughs) He's boss. He's not going anywhere. You're a worker. People don't have power over your life. Make a change. Just do it. It's that simple. But at one point, he's on the run, and he goes, and he's running away from, he has no home, he has no kingdom, and he runs into this group of people, and all of a sudden, he looks up, and he sees that it's all of the Philistines that he's been fighting against. He's killed tens of thousands of these people. There was a song in Israel. Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. He's responsible for the death of tens of thousands of the enemy, and he's in their camp by accident. And he goes, "Uh uh-oh. So what does he do? He gets creative. And he does what you do. You call up your boss, and you're like, hey, boss, I'm sick. He goes crazy. He lets a drool come out of his mouth. And he's like going, ooh. And, and all of a sudden they say, is this David? Is this King David? Is this the David that like killed tens of thousands of our men? And they look at him and he acted so well in the party. He said, he's crazy. Just throw him out. David faked being insane to save his own skin. That could be a policy. I might try that one time in my life. But he, he fakes being crazy. It works He's told he's going to be king. He killed the giant. He killed tens of thousands of them and the very kingdom that should have celebrated him barely tolerated him and the king wanted to kill him. Let me tell you something. You're better than that. You should never stay in a place where you're tolerated. You need to go somewhere where you're celebrated. You're not a victim of people or circumstances. But David... When he goes in, that's at that point where I probably would have started saying, man, life stinks, this is so hard, oh man. You have those kind of prayers, right? The hopeless prayers. They're not prayers of help from God. They're hopelessness. Nobody loves me, everybody hates me. God, I just don't know what I'm going to do. That's not what David does. David turns and writes Psalm 34. Listen to this. He says this psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and went away I will bless the Lord at all times his praise will continually be on my mouth my soul makes its boast in the Lord let the humble hear and be glad and then he says this oh magnify the Lord with me let's exalt his name together another moment in his life when it comes to people David is sitting here and He's, he's got pe- He's got people that the city gets robbed and everybody is so angry. Have you ever noticed there's something about human nature when you're upset about something, we direct it in the wrong direction, right? We wanna kick the dog, bite the kids, yell at the wife and that's not what God's designed us to do. And so David's camp gets raided. And they steal all of the silver and gold. They steal the tribe's stuff. They steal the women and the children. And everybody is just overwhelmed and devastated with total anguish. And then all of a sudden the Bible says that they went and they picked up stones. So that they might stone David. He's in charge. This is his fault. And they get ready to kill him. But this is the amazing thing about David. He mastered this of breaking through the barriers of people. It says this. It says that David encouraged himself and the Lord. Let me tell you something about people, including this one. I will let you down. I will be there for you when you don't need me, and I will not be there necessarily for you every time that you do. That's just people, but that's not your Heavenly Father. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. We all have moments where we say, man, you need anything, I'm there for you. And then there's David with these people and they're ready to kill him. If you live on the praises and acceptance and affirmation of people, you will starve to death. You have to trust in God. You need to learn to rejoice in the Lord. And here's the thing about it. When you begin this journey and this process, you'll have what happened with David, who is a master at this. The Bible says that the ark of God, the presence, the very throne of God, was to be carried on the shoulders of the priest. In other words, if you want the presence of God in your life, you're gonna have to put your back into it. You need to work at it. God isn't just gonna drop it there. The, the reason God had it born on the shoulders of the priest was that there was a response responsibility that comes with having a life with Jesus you're going to have to say no to some things and yes to some things and it's going to hurt and but it's in your best interest you got to feel that weight and instead of doing that he put it on a cart some of you know that story the the cart shifted a guy reached out and he was struck dead but we missed the real story behind this while all of that was happening the bible says that David started to dance and as he was dancing, that man was so happy, his, his coat went off, his shirt went off, his shoes went off, and he was just there dancing around with a loincloth. Now, it wouldn't be the equivalent of dancing in your underwear, but it was pretty close to it. And he's the Bible describes, just like in that wedding thing where the, 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 the people are spinning and twirling and dancing, he's rejoicing before God. Listen, some of you have overcome some incredibly difficult and discouraging situations, and just as you begin to rejoice, The very thing that happened to David happened to you. And it says that his wife, who happened to be the daughter of Saul, they were aligning the kingdom with a marriage. Oh, David, he killed the giant. Marry my daughter. You can be in the kingdom. And when Saul found out that he was going to replace him as king, he tried to kill him. But his wife lost any chance of being queen at this point. Her name was Mikael. And when she saw him spinning and dancing before the Lord, it says that she despised him in her heart. And it says this, this is the powerful thing, that David went and returned to his home to bless it. And she insults him over how he conducted himself in the presence of God. Let me tell you a truth that somebody told me, you will either worship or you will be critical of those who do. There's no in between. And David's wife And I have an awesome wife, by the way. This is no subliminal message. My wife is awesome and amazing. In fact, you should be thankful. I'd be doing stupid, crazy things all the time if she wasn't talking me off the ledges. But she, this woman, despised David. Who does he think he is? Conducting himself like that. He's a fool. He's making, he should be embarrassed of himself. He should be embarrassed for what he's doing for God. And then David just kind of digs back. Maybe this gives us biblical permission. He says, I'll be yet more vile said david to me kyle he says you thought that insults you wait until i really cut loose in god i'm going to freak you out people are a barrier but you can overcome it nobody would have power over you unless it was given from above not everybody's going to rejoice with you but you need to learn to encourage yourself in the lord and to cut loose how about control I'll never, I, you've probably heard this story before, but it's worth saying, I, I, I hear people talk about revivals and all kinds of stuff. I've seen them. I remember one time, the longest I've seen it sustained uh, at places I've visited, it have been for years, but this place, this was one that I was in a part of that went for an entire week. Every time in the Bible college, they tried to start classes, it would turn into a moment where God would just show up, tears would fall, hands would raise, songs would lift up to God. And we were doing this and it was going all day, and all night and the minute they try to start classes the next day God would show up again and the minute they tried to change the schedule it would just ha it was just amazing and all these things happen two o'clock in the morning a guy rides his bike onto our campus into a room with like 350 people and he says I was driving my bike down the road and I was going to kill myself and something told me to come in here and all of a sudden everybody like gets around and probably freaked him out start praying for him God you've got a plan for his life it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen but my childhood was not stolen from me my childhood was burnt to the ground from so many hurts and disappointments and I've been so inhibited my whole life my life journey is to learn how to bust out of my inhibitions to not guard my emotions but to be able to allow them to have healthy expression but I'll never forget where in one of these meetings where God was just moving, people were singing and praying for each other, and I was up like this, and I just, I just, tears pouring down my face. I never sensed God's presence like this, and I dropped my hands, I kid you not, just like this, and both of my hands smacked perfectly into two hands, and I just closed them, and then I opened my eyes, and there were 10 other people that had just done the same exact thing. And for the first time in my life, I laughed like I was four years old again. And all of those people just bounced in a circle. It sounds so foolish. If Mikhail was there, she would have insulted us. But it was like I was a kid again. See, God doesn't want you to control your emotions so much that you never allow or learn the secret of being childlike. Why do we not give ourselves emotional permission? We think we're better off acting composed and in control rather than... externally expressing joy a little accidentally over the top but I would rather see somebody bubbling over and making a little bit of a mess with joy than somebody bottled up and imploded listen to this great quote I the author's unknown I heard it on a video clip I was going to play it for you but there are a couple of sections of it that I'm like okay they're not Christians but this is beautiful listen to this A childhood moment when we experience happiness as a state of being, that single moment of untarnished joy, the moment when everything in our world is right, it's okay, everything's all right. Do you remember that as a kid where you had no cares in the world? Listen to this though. We become a colony of adults and everything becomes wrong. It's as if we're on a quest to get back and yet the more we focus on our own personal happiness, the more it eludes us. This is the profound point to it. Instead of being consumed with the pursuit of happiness, we should recapture the happiness of pursuit. Some of us are so goal-oriented, we've forgotten the joy of the journey. We've forgotten it. We've forgotten what it's like to laugh at ourselves. We feel like we have to control everybody around us and we have to you know, correct everybody around us and we're worried about people and we're trying to control everything and the whole time God's saying, would you just let go and let God The author of that book wrote this. He said, if I only said I love you to my wife or my family when I felt it, they might not know I still do love them. And he goes on to say this. He says, I think when we rejoice and exalt God, how many of you would say there are moments where, you know, you're trying to connect with God and you're just not feeling it? In fact, it hurts to do it. In fact, it doesn't come naturally to you to do it. And those that it comes easy would look at you and say, you just need to get right. No, no, no. You are beautifully right in fact the author says it like this he says he says I think when we rejoice and exalt God in prayer when we don't feel it or feel like it God sees it far more valuable and far more precious of a gift he actually sees it as true sacrifice Psalm 43 5 David was not dictated by his emotions in fact he grabbed his emotions and got a hold of them and he said why are you cast down on my soul Why are you discouraged with turmoil in me? Put your hope in God, yet shall I praise him. How about circumstances? I'll be happy when, I'll be happy if. If you live by that, you'll be miserable for the rest of your life. Rejoicing overcomes people. Rejoicing overcomes yourself. Some of you need to get over yourself. But it also overcomes your circumstances. Let me just ask this honest question real quick. How many Patriot fans in the house this morning? None, I guess, huh? All right. Super Bowl, you actually made it there this year somehow, supernaturally, you didn't. But like, you're there, let me hear it, Patriot fans. All right. All right. Any Steelers fans with us? All right, we got some in the house. Represent. You're both losers. (laughs) Neither of you made it to the Super Bowl. Did that keep you from praising your team? Did you being the minority keep you from praising your team? And it's the same with God. You might not win every time, but that doesn't mean that he still doesn't expect you to praise him. In fact, there are times in our life where he knows the whole season. He knows what's going on and the seasons in our life and he wants us to learn to cheer and trust him in the midst of those seasons. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as we, as we close here. In order, listen, in order for you to learn how to rejoice and rejoicing can be just as powerful in private. It shouldn't just be, when I say rejoicing, it doesn't mean just singing on a Sunday. It means you're singing over the difficult people in your life. You're singing over the circumstances of your life. You're singing over your moods and attitudes, which are contrary to what God wants to do in your life. You know what? If David was in depression, you know what he'd be like, he said, What are you stupid? Get up. Praise God. He screamed at himself. Read the Psalms. If you're a depressed person, you need to pick up the Psalms and you need to read through it. You need to sign up with one of the counselors at our church and get the number offline. You need to talk to me so we can get you to somebody because some journeys are too hard to get up from on your own. But but along with that, you need to get in the book of Psalms and begin to say, you know what? I'm not allowed and I do not give my permission to pout. I'm not allowed to feel that I'm helpless to people. I don't need to be a victim of my circumstances and I definitely need to get over myself. I don't have permission to just sit here and pout. I need to magnify the Lord. If you're going to become a person of rejoicing in prayer, you're going to have to learn how to magnify the Lord, and in that psalm that I read to you earlier, of Psalm 34, David writes it. I believe in verse three, he says this. He goes, "Oh, ma- oh, magnify the Lord with me." I I'm at that age now where I've got a reader. This isn't the one that I use for for my reading. I got this small one that that's awesome. It's a it's light, but there are so many things I'm trying to read it, and I'm like and I'm going and I just now I just go boom okay no problem I got this and the problem with some of us in this place is that we're magnifying anyone and anything in any situation in any mood in any problem except the one that really deserves to be magnified in fact the problem is is that we have minimized God and we've maximized people we've minimized God and we've maximized our feelings We've minimized God and we've maximized the control that circumstances have over us. And David would look at you and say, have you learned nothing from what I wrote? Magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. And for some of you here, there's a beautiful quote, but I think it's a moment right here, right now. For some of you in this room, Jesus is tapping on your heart. Jesus is with you now, getting you to let go of your small God. In fact, one book written by J.D. Greer, it's a profound title, it says this, why your small God leads to so many big problems. Let me tell you what a lady by the name of Holly Greth says. She says, there is nothing too big that God can't handle, but there's also nothing too small that he cannot notice. God sees, God knows. Not only that, but you need to learn, for some of you, to not just magnify God, but you need to begin to magnify other people. We are so self-centered and we are so selfish as a culture. In fact, you could commit your attitude, your life, and your efforts and endeavors to other people for the next year and evaluate it. And you'd probably realize that I didn't cross that line far enough, but right now there are some of us, we're not crossing it at all. It never was about you and it was never about me and it was never about us, it was about him and it was about them. In fact, I remember when my wife and I got a house for the first time. I mean, we were, we had nothing. We got a, it was a miracle. I'm not telling you the story right now. But it was amazing how many of our friends became bitter and just stopped hanging out with us and stopped talking with us because they didn't learn the truth that the Apostle Paul tried to get across to everybody. Rejoice with those who rejoice. We need to rejoice with Alex and Amanda. We need to rejoice with people as they're getting, like we need to just own that and just, like we need to like get out the pom-poms and learn how to, like guys can cheerlead now too, right? You know? We need to like become a cheering squad for one another and give updraft to our lives and begin to celebrate with people. And you know what? You might be in the middle of a celebration. We also need to do this. My wife is an expert at this. Weep with those who weep. There's in a situation or a person that ever comes across her reading or across her praying that when they're feeling pain and she totally embraces that is teaching me all the time about what it is to weep with those who weep, but but God wants us to rejoice. And that's what we're going to do here right now. I want you to stand to your feet and you need to learn to pause, but some of you need to recapture what it is to rejoice. Listen, people don't have authority over you. Your circumstances are not going to end the story. And you need to build the bridge and get over yourself. I don't care how introverted you are. I don't care how difficult your problems are. David could look at you and Jesus is looking at us from the cross, people across the centuries and the millennium who have had problems. And the problem is, is that you've dug a pit and you're sitting there in the bottom of it and just saying, oh man, I just, and God is looking at you saying, rejoice, rejoice. I end the story. I end pen the last chapter I am the Alpha and the Omega I am the God over people I am the God over your circumstances I am the God even over your feelings and I need you to get up and start praising me again you need to begin to learn to lift your hands and drop your tears and begin to just begin to let go and stop magnifying all those things and magnify the Lord and that's what we're gonna do here and this is how we're gonna end and as you worship what it is that you needed to check off of your life you need to say oh God I might be down, but I'm not out. I praise you. Oh, Lord, my boss is driving me nuts. Or God, I need a boss. I need a job. I want you to know I praise you. Father, I need to get over myself. I need to begin to open my mouth and open my heart again. I praise you. I praise you. Say it with me. I praise you, Jesus. Come on, in your own words, in your own way, let's get a concert of adoration. Do you love him? Do you thank him? Let's sing to him. And after this song, you are free to go. You're free to stay. But you're not free to let people, circumstances, or your own little pouting to keep you in that place. Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God, David says. Amen?